0: The book of Acts also a conclusion today. It's really quite sad. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. As we've worked our way through the book of Acts, one of the primary things that Luke seeks to communicate time and time and time again is the fact that this is God's plan. It's God's plan at work. It's God the Father's plan from before creation. The mankind would sin erring and that they would need a redeemer a savior who would bring them back to himself that Jesus would come and would sacrifice himself and that through that there would be power for people to have transformed lives that the Holy Spirit would come and would indwell his people in such a way that they can joyfully, boldly go and proclaim repeatedly the gospel for which they'll be persecuted over and over again you actually see this all foretold in Acts chapter one verse eight. In Acts chapter one verse eight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and to the end of the earth. And so as you look through the, the early chapters of the book of Acts, what do you see? You see the gospel multiplying, abounding in Jerusalem, and then it spreads to Judea and then to Samaria. And today it reaches It's already been in Rome. And yet this is kind of the culmination of God's plan is triumphant. What God sets out to do from the beginning of creation, before there was sin, before all of this took place, God accomplishes. Why? Because God's the one who triumphs. God is the one who wins. And in fact, Scripture tells us that Church is so essential in accomplishing God's plan that the church is actually the pillar and the ground of truth. Notice at the end of 1 Timothy 3:15, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now many challenges are going to arise against the church, and we've seen some of these challenges rise up against the church. Just think back to the early chapters of Acts. They believe in Christ. They go and they boldly proclaim Christ in the temple. And what happens? They're taken and they're beaten for their faith in Christ. And the early disciples say it's a joy for them to be able to be persecuted for Christ. A few chapters later, what happens to Stephen? Stephen is executed for his faith in Christ. But the challenges aren't always just challenges from outside persecution looking in. Sometimes the challenges to the authority and the sufficiency of the church have also come from within. Think of Ananias and Sapphira and their immorality. And because they were immoral, God has to teach the church a lesson that he is to be feared, he is to be respected, and he will accomplish his mission with or without his people. Think of the difficulties that have occurred among churches. The church of Damascus is flourishing. It's doing well. Paul and Barnabas are ministering, and they're seeing people come to Christ. The church is growing astronomically. Gentile community. In the midst of the church growing and succeeding so well, God comes and he says, separate from me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of the ministry. Yeah, there's a lot of joy in seeing that ministry go out, but I think probably the church of Damascus was also pretty discouraged at losing two very key, important people who ministered there. And then just a few chapters later, what happens? More difficulty for the church. Paul and Barnabas get into a scuffle over John Mark, and they actually split up. Multiple challenges, and yet through all these challenges, what happens? The church prevails, the church continues to advance. Accomplish its mission. Why? Because that's what Jesus promised. This is God's plan. It's accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not the acts of the apostles. This is the acts of God. As it fulfills the plan of God through the power that is accomplished in the mission and work of Jesus Christ, and it's seen accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the and so it's not shocking at all that Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you may think that as we enter into this concluding section where you know, Paul has now been in prison for at least two years, possibly up towards three years at this point in Acts, that this is somehow a, a deterrent to the mission of God's work. You know, God was racing towards the finish line, and for these past four years, the gods, you know, not even put the whole plan on cruise, but you know, he's just taking his foot off the gas and he started to push the brake. But notice what Paul says as he writes to Philippians about his ministry as he's in prison. During the same period, he says, But I want you to know, brother, that the Things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace garden, to all the rest, my chains are in Christ. You see, God's mission is being accomplished in the book of Acts. God is proving to his people that he is triumphant. That he will accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. And what the book of Acts is seeking to teach you and I is that the plan that God started in Acts chapter 1 is still God's plan. God's plan to save sinners from their sin through the power of Jesus Christ and Jesus to sanctified and to accomplish His mission in their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit is still God's plan today. You'll notice that as we conclude the book of Acts, it's not like you really know what happens to Paul. Why? I think in part, the reason why is because ultimately it's not about what happens to Paul. Paul's not the hero. The hero of the story is Christ is proclaimed, Christ is magnified, and Christ is known. The gospel advances, that's the purpose. The gospel is advancing to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And because that's what's happening, God's plan is successful. It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about John. It's about Christ. And so as we study this last section of the book of Acts, I believe that the theme is this. Find your hope in Christ and rejoice in his complete (coughs) wisdom and perfect faith. Find your hope in Christ and rejoice in his complete wisdom and perfect plan. If you would stand with me, we will read together Acts 28, verses 17 through 31. Verse 17, And it came to pass, after three days, that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any other brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified to the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed, after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people has grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes, have <coughs> they have closed, lest they should With their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence no one forbidding him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The text begins and highlights the fact that God's hope is what sustains and motivates God's people. Notice the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is our sure hope. Just imagine if you were Paul. What would motivate you? What would sustain you through the last two and a half, three years that he's been through? As he's heading to Jerusalem, being told to do so by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, everybody around him is prophesying, telling him, do not go. We know that if you go to Jerusalem, there's going to be heartache and imprisonment and trials that are going to come your way. Don't go. Repeatedly. Numerous people in different locations, believers, come and tell him, don't go. And he does. Why? Because he's obeying God's plan. And yet he arrives, and what happens? He's falsely accused, he's arrested, he's imprisoned. They seek to kill him. They seek to plot to kill him. They seek to de- de- uh, deceive the Roman leaders numerous times. And yet God sustains him. Provides him with hope. And numerous times as he stands and he defends himself, he continues to point people to the fact that Jesus Christ is his hope. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is his sure and final and only hope. That if it were not for the fact that Jesus died for his sins, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again, and that his sins are forgiven he has a hope of eternal life and a future resurrection, he would not have persevered. He's survived two years of unjust imprisonment. He's survived yet another shipwreck. And he arrives now here. And notice what he does. His hope propels him to live and to pursue God's mission with his life is completely unencumbered. He's he's not phased by the difficulties and the hardships that he's faced. He arrives and, and simply three days later, what is he doing? He's calling for the very same people group who have got him into this mess for the last two and a half, three years to come and to hear about the hope that he has. This hope has not only sustained him, but it's also motivating him. not only sustains you and I through the trials of our lives, but it's the same hope that will motivate you and I to take the gospel and faithfully proclaim it to those who are lost all around us. People are in desperate need of hearing the gospel. People are dying and facing a crisis, eternity and hell because they've never received the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And and Paul is so consumed by the message of hope that he has, that's available in Jesus Christ, that it not only sustains him through his trials, but it also motivates him and urges him on to faithfully continue proclaiming. It's an amazing thing. These are the same people that he should expect. When was the last time Paul had an opportunity to present the gospel to a majority Jewish context in which the majority of them responded in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Never. Not once. And he himself has said, you know, I'm going to go to them and tell them first but I know that my primary responsibility is not to proclaim to them, but to proclaim to the Gentiles. And yet, he realizes the need, and his hope sustains him. It's not something that he is ashamed about. It's not something that he's seeking to distance himself from. It's not something that you and I should be ashamed about. It's something that we should boldly and freely proclaim. Because it's the hope of all people. It's what everybody needs to hear. And Paul realizes this is what they need most. They don't need to have themselves deceived any longer. To have me think that I'm here for some other reason. They should understand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Israel's hope. That he is what they truly need most desperately. So Paul arrives, and he freely discusses the reason for his imprisonment. You would think that as he's in prison, he's getting ready to face Caesar, and he's changed to some of Caesar's very own personal guards, a very elite group of soldiers, constantly changing them. Maybe he'd back down a little bit, and he's not ashamed. Instead, he grows, it seems, in even greater boldness in proclaiming who Christ is. He says, But when the Jews spoke against that, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. His purpose, his hope, is simply the gospel. For this reason, therefore, I am called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this. See him just sitting there chained to a Roman guard, and he picks up the chain and he says, This is the reason for these chains. It's the hope. He's not ashamed of it. He, in fact, draws attention to the fact that he is bound for this hope. He doesn't back down, instead, he pushes forward with joy. And that's what you and I need to do too. Our hope is so important, we must share it with joy. Notice how he, he calls them, and he appoints a time for them to come and to listen to him. He realizes that their lack of understanding, which they express to him, they're like, we don't know anything about this. We haven't received any letters. We don't know anything evil about you. But we do have a desire, they say, to hear from you what you think. For concerning, concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. And so he assumes then from that they do not have the hope of Israel, that they must have that proclaimed to them. See, his hope not only sustains him through this, it also motivates him. (coughs) Our hope is not vulnerable Because our hope is not based on circumstances around us. It's not based on whether or not we've been shipwrecked. It's not based on whether or not we've been in prison. It's not based on whether or not Caesar will look at us with favor. It's not based on whether or not our family members will look on us with favor. It's based on the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the debt for our sins, that he's died, he's been buried, he's been resurrected. And we know that through faith in him, we too have an eternal, secure future. See, his joy is unmovable because his hope is sure. And if you and I want to have the same type of confidence, the same kind of boldness, it requires that you and I understand, grow in our love and our appreciation for this same hope without a great love and passion for the hope of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the fact that we can now live in Christ. You and I are going to find ourselves struggling to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the very center of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope have died to sin, you now live to Christ. And so Paul understands this, and as he embraces this truth, he freely and excitedly pronounces this message to those around him. But as he proclaims this, you see that he's going to continue to develop ideas about who Christ is, about who God is. As he concludes, he, he highlights the fact that God's wisdom knows no And so as verse 23 and following open and they conclude, God knows how to bring people to himself. Paul's new acquaintances have not really heard about the gospel. They profess that in verse 21. They're like, we don't really know anything about you, and we know that everybody says a lot of evil things about the things that you say, but we don't really understand it, and we would like to hear something about it. Now, whether or not they're simply curious, maybe they're afraid that If they get too involved and act like they have a solid position, Caesar's going to kick all the Jews out of Rome again. Or maybe there's something else that they're concerned about. The text doesn't really let us know where they are. Though as you continue reading the text, it appears that their desire to hear is not actually as great as they initially profess. But God brings people to himself. God brings them and allows them to have opportunity to once again hear the truth of his word. And and so he appoints a time for them to come and to meet. And in this great group, some of them are going to place their trust in Christ. And so as he begins explaining to them the gospel, notice what he does. He explains who Christ is persuades them concerning Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And he highlights this has to do with the kingdom of God. He's highlighting for them that Jesus Christ has died. That Jesus Christ has provided a way for them to receive eternal life. That Their attempts to live up to the standard of law is a failed attempt that they'll never reach righteousness by the law. He tried, he failed, and he says he was one of the best to try ever. He says you can't do it, which is why you need Christ. Christ did live a righteous life, and he died paying the penalty for your sin, and he offers you his righteousness if you receive him by faith. And so he constantly proclaims this to them. And so it really brings out the question, have you received the gift of Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ? See, Christ has a desire to bring people to himself. That's what he desires so greatly. And he constantly is recording that he's desiring to see people come to himself throughout the whole book of Acts. Over and over and over again, he's highlighting the fact that he has a desire to see people come to himself. God does give some human hearts. God gives human hearts that are humble and ready to hear the gospel. Notice how some of them respond in verse 24 and 25. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. And some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Ultimately, it's a work of God that brings people to salvation. Some people say that they have a desire to hear. A great many come, and yet only some receive the message. But God knew that. God's wisdom was not limited in this. God knew that only some would. becomes even more and more clear as you continue to read through the text that God knew exactly what he was doing. Because God has known that some will reject the message of Jesus. And so notice how Paul highlights this idea. They say, what specifically is the thing that Paul says that drives people away from him? That ends their conversation? You can almost see it. From morning till evening, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about righteousness. He's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about how all of this is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he then says, as he looks and he perceives, and some of them believe and some of them are not believing, he looks and he says to them, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For, hearts of, for the hearts of this people has grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. See, God knows. God's plan is not limited by his knowledge. God's plan, he's actually arguing, is advanced by God's seeing. God knew that this was the plan. And it becomes very apparent that God knew that this was the plan, because what is verse 28 says? Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, that they will hear it. See, God knows that some will reject the message. God's knowledge of the future is present still, and as a result, we can trust him as he works. See, God's plan hasn't concluded and God's wisdom and sovereignty and power and control into our futures is not hindered. In the least, bit. God still knows how people will ultimately respond to the gospel, and he's still accomplishing his mission. He has simply sent us on mission to
1: faithfully live for him, to faithfully proclaim to others the
0: sufficiency of Jesus Christ for their own lives. God's mission is not hindered. God's mission is not stopped, because God's plan is triumphant. And so in verse 28 through verse 31, he's going to really highlight this idea that God's plan is triumphant. The plan that he set out to accomplish in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to see the gospel go from, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the othermost parts of the earth, has been accomplished, that God is doing just what he set out to do. See, God is seeking people who will receive the salvation He offers them. God yearns for people to come to salvation. Another Jewish author of Scripture writes
1: to us and tells us about the very hearts of God. And Peter, Peter tells
0: us, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should All should come to repentance. And so God has a desire to see Gentiles come to salvation. And He says that they are going to hear. God's mercy is clearly and fully displayed as He draws people to Himself. God is once again in your own salvation, highlighting and magnifying. His own mercy and His own glory. Proclaiming to those around you that He is a merciful God, that He is a glorious God, that He is one who is worthy of praise. You see, God is seeking people who will receive the salvation of the offers. But not only that, He knows that it's going to be successful. God knows who will hear and respond to His message. And so Paul specifically once again highlights here that the message is primarily going to be taken to the Gentiles. And the Jews respond in a very hostile way to that. They respond by getting angry and they have arguments among themselves. Because some of them have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and have received forgiveness of their sins and the righteousness of God. And others continue to say, no, I'll do it on my own. I'll follow the law to a T, and through that I will earn the righteousness of God. And they're lost, but that's what happens. But God knows this. is his plan. But notice how the text concludes. As the text concludes in verse 30 and 31, God is going to highlight that his message is freely. You may think that, you know, being in the prison cell may deter, may hamper the efforts of the Apostle Paul in proclaiming the gospel. And yet it doesn't. Because he's able to have his own rented house, and as he's there, people are able to freely come to him, and he's able to boldly and freely proclaim, with all confidence, no one forbidding him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's mission is being accomplished. The center of the known world, the very hub of all the political activity, the gospel is there. And where are people from this capital going to go to? Everywhere. The idea is that the gospel is spreading to every single corner of the world. That God's plan is indeed fully being accomplished, not only in scope, but also in power. The vibrancy and the power of the gospel is not hindered.
1: Paul is not hindered. The gospel is not hindered. God is
0: accomplishing his message. God is accomplishing accomplishing his mission. And then finally, God's message is ultimate about ultimately about the triumphant Christ. Notice specifically what he's teaching them. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with co- all confidence, no one forbidding him. The message he's proclaiming is the triumph of Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what he's telling them. Jesus is king. He is king and he's the savior. You have no other hope apart from him. You need to trust Christ. Through him there is hope. hope. Through him there is peace. Through him there is security for your eternal life. And, And apart from him there is no hope. There is no peace. There is no stability. Because he's king. He's who wins. And it really is not shocking that as Paul is in this same setting, he's in his house arrest situation in Rome, waiting for his day to stand before Caesar. That as he writes to his churches that he's ministered to, he writes them, and he reminds them of these very same truths. Think about Philippians chapter 2, verses 10-11. through 11, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul is so consumed by the triumph of Jesus Christ, not only in his personal life, that his battle with sin is no longer a battle that he must fight, that he's not seeking to earn his own righteousness by living in obedience to the law, but that he can look to Christ and say it's been won in Christ, but also for the whole universe, he looks and he says, ultimately, everybody's triumph does not lie in their own ability, it doesn't lie in Caesar or any other political means or... Jerusalem and Israel once again gaining their
1: independence. It
0: lies in Christ. He says he's the hope. He is the one who accomplishes everything. He's the king. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about everything that concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes the Philippians and he says, one day, whether they like it or not, all people everywhere are going to bow down and, Through them, whether they like it or not, they're going to be offering God the glory, the praise, and the honor that He has due. You see, God's mission is advancing. It's still advancing today. This is the message that we need to keep central in our own lives, maintain obedience and purity in our own lives. But it's also the message that we need to maintain central focus as we talk to our loved ones, as we talk to our neighbors, as we talk to our coworkers, that Jesus Christ is central. That sin separates us from God, but that through Jesus Christ, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is peace. And notice, all this is ultimately accomplished, not through our own efforts, but rather it's accomplished through God is the one who's equipping his servants to accomplish his mission. It really goes back to what is sustaining Paul through all this. It's not Paul's you know, perseverance on a human level that he just he has such good initiative and stick-to-itiveness and he's just a good go-getter. That's true. Paul was that. But it's more than. It's not just the fact that he had some human characteristics that were great. It's the fact that God is the one who is sustaining him. That God's hope through Jesus Christ is what sustains him. As he sees God continuing to work, he grows in boldness. He tells us that in Philippians. He highlights that God's work has not been hindered, but rather he is growing in boldness, and he prays that they will pray that he'll have continued boldness. He realizes it's not his own work. It's God's work in him. And, and there's a lot of hope in that for you, God. Because it's not my natural tendency to want to start gospel conversations. And my guess is it's not your natural tendency to want to start gospel conversations. They're uncomfortable. They're difficult to be had. Typically people don't like them. We do it, but it's not what we naturally want. Our natural desires would be to talk about the weather, and about soccer, maybe football for you or basketball for you, and all sorts of other things before we ever touch the gospel. And it may seem like it's a completely daunting, impossible task. And yet what the scripture constantly teaches through the gospel or the acts of the uh, Holy Spirit and of God the Father and of God the Son is that it's not you. It's God-working. you and I, there's a lot of hope in that. Yes, we work alongside him, but it's not ultimately about you. God uses you and I as tools to accomplish his mission, to equip his servants to advance his mission. And that's what allows Paul to speak with all the confidence he has. It's because he's receiving the prayers of the He's receiving the prayers of the other churches who he's written to and asked them to be in prayer for. Him. It's because he's living in the hope that God offers. He's living in submission to the Holy Spirit. And he's relying upon the Word of God to provide him with strength and encouragement on a daily basis. And he relies upon those things. And as he does so, he's filled with confidence, he's filled with boldness. He wakes up another morning, still under house arrest. boldly and freely proclaims the kingdom of God and teaches them about the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God's mission hasn't stopped. I think that's why the book of Acts ends the way it does. It doesn't tell us whether Paul is freed or whether Paul is executed. I think that personally he was freed, and then he was captured again some years later, and then he was executed. But it doesn't conclude there. Why? Because the point is it does... The mission of God continue for another five years because Paul is freed, or the mission of God stops because Paul is killed. That's not the point. The point is that God's mission has been started, and what God the Father plans, what God the Son accomplishes through his death, burial, and resurrection, and what God the Holy Spirit brings about in his people will be fulfilled. It doesn't stop in AD 62 or AD 68. It goes on today. 2,000 years later. And it will continue to advance because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God working in and through us. And so as we think about some application ideas, the gospel of Jesus Christ sustains us in our trials. Paul has been through some crazy stuff over the last seven chapters. He can even say the last eight chapters. Believers coming and harassing him, telling him he should not continue to follow God's plan. His own people coming and seeking to see his death. Probably some of those people on the Sanhedrin were actually his friends back when he lived as an unbeliever. And yet what sustains him? what keeps him going? It's the gospel. But there is more to life than his personal circumstances. That Christ is worthy there is hope laid up for him that is not of this earth. That sustains him. And believer, that's what sustains you and I. Not your physical circumstances, not your family, not your financial situation, but the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what sustains us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ also motivates us to continued faithfulness in our heartaches. Notice it not only sustains him, it not only keeps him, you know, going another day, this is not a guy who's, you know, ready to just throw in the towel. You almost see Paul as more motivated for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 28 than you did in Acts chapter 9, where he's called initially to the gospel. And his eyes are open to the light of Jesus Christ. This isn't somebody who's taken up a woe is me, I guess I'll just kind of go live out the rest of my days in prison and then die. He's excited, he's passionate for the gospel. Why? Because he sees what the gospel has done in himself, and he's seen the gospel continuing to work. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that God takes people who are hostile enemies of him, and through faith in Jesus Christ, Hostile enemies of God become children of God. We've seen that in our own lives. We've seen that in other people's lives. That should be something that motivates us and stirs our hearts to continued faithfulness, to continued obedience. God's wisdom assures us that God will care for our needs. God knows what's going to happen. He knew that the Jews would reject the mission of Jesus Christ, He knew that thousands of years earlier. He told Isaiah to go and to tell them. That's the same passage, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah's is like sent and Isaiah's is like, I don't know if I really want to do this. And
1: God shows him his extreme holiness and he says,
0: You are going. But as you go, guess what? You're going to tell them and they're not going to listen. They're going to see, but they're not actually going to see. You're pretty much going to have a pointless ministry, Isaiah, but it's faithful to God, so go do it. See, God's wisdom assures us that God will care for us. God cared for Isaiah, God cared for Paul, and God will care for you and I. But then God's victory also assures us that ultimately we are victors through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the gospel, the book of Acts, is seeking to community. Is that God's plan advances that as you join in pursuing gospel advancement, that you too will join in this victory march. And that it's going to continue until the very day in which Jesus comes and he raptures his church to be with him in heaven. God's mission still advances. Jesus Christ has still died for people since. God the Father planned that even in our postmodern society that people would need salvation, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knew that people would be hard-hearted. This isn't new. And he still gives us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come alongside us, to equip us, to help us live in obedience to him so that we can accomplish the mission. God's mission advances on And really I think that the, the question that Acts leaves us with is, is this. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to boldly and confidently join in proclaiming the kingdom of God and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to sit on the sideline and watch? The question is up there. And, and The answer is really a personal one. How do you choose to respond? Will you join in God's plan? Or will you sit by and watch? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your plan. We thank you that you do accomplish your mission. We thank you that we can trust you. We pray that you would help us to be encouraged as we reflect upon your faithfulness to your people throughout the years. We pray that as we think about your faithfulness to people, the fact that you knew the future, that you knew the plan and that you have a plan that's being accomplished, that we would be encouraged and we would be challenged to pursue obedience in the opportunities that you give us to boldly and faithfully proclaim the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for the lost and dying world around us. We thank you for who you are. We pray that you would give us a good rest of the day as we Enjoy our time with families, and as we enjoy our time uh, meditating on Your goodness and Your faithfulness to us, in Your name we pray. Closing song is "Passion for Thee." If you would stand with me.